1: as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another unapologetically bold I'm not sorry for. And I am beyond blessed today to have my new friend with me. John, welcome.
2: Hey, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I really like that intro set up. Yeah. I'm going to have to copy that down the, down the road. But uh, super happy to be here and excited for the conversation. To see, uh, I'm excited to see where this road goes.
1: I love it. And you're such an amazing and dynamic person. So I'm so excited for the audience to get to hear you and get to learn from you because you, in a good in a good sense, you are different. And that's what I love love about you. And your difference is that you are unapologetically bold about who you are. So so people that don't know who you are, can you just give them a little background about who John is?
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. So, uh, actually just retired from the Navy. Uh, Let's see, where are we at? The end of October now, so I just retired at the beginning of August. So, at some point, I'm going to have to start saying I retired and not just retired, but I retired at the beginning of August uh, after 24 years, uh, most of which was spent in the Navy SEAL teams. Uh, graduated from the Naval Academy with a degree in mathematics, went out to SEAL training, did my time in the SEAL teams. And uh, and then in the last three or four years of my Navy career, I started getting very passionate about mindfulness and meditation. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm uh, the deputy executive director for the nonprofit called Veterans Path, where we teach mindfulness and meditation. To veterans and transitioning service members.
1: I love it. And I think that really actually flows into what you're not sorry for. So I just love to go ahead and hop on into that. So, John, can you tell the world what you are no longer apologizing for?
0: Yeah,
2: I am not sorry for being a mindful man. And uh, I'm sure we're going to get into what that means, but I am not sorry for that for sure.
1: And that's I just yeah go ahead let's hop on into that one. Where did that first come from? When was your first memory that you're like mindfulness? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. What is this, and why should I even deal with it?
2: For sure. Uh, so in the steel teams, I had some ups and downs, and I was having some uh, mental health challenges, if you will, and. I was being medicated by the navy the navy had me on various forms of anti-anxiety and antidepressant medications and uh, I think they helped with the anxiety they helped with the depression but those pills also took the life out of me they took the the ups out of life so I was just kind of this numb shell of who I had been in the past and at the same time, I was seeing some counselors, um, to address the, the, for lack of a better term right now, the demons that were, uh, that I was facing in my life. And one of the counselors recommended mindfulness and meditation to me. And, uh, to be completely honest, I kind of laughed at them, kind of blew it off because in my mind, this preconceived notion that I had of mindfulness and meditation That it is one that it was kind of a snake oil, that it didn't really work. And then the, the second piece was that it wasn't done by people like myself. Uh, I was for, um, hippies and monks, um, and not that I have anything against them, but I was, uh, you know, a a six foot two, 215 pound Navy seal, um, who, and, and uh, I'll be completely honest. I kind of thought that I was too tough for that kind of stuff. Um, but then he convinced me that there uh, there were some benefits to it by showing me the science, the physiology behind it, much of which we've discussed in the past, and then uh, showed me some very high-performing individuals that practice it, and I was like, well, if they're practicing it, maybe I should give it a try. And so in all honesty, my initial memory of mindfulness was one of, that's for the loonies, and then the, uh, the other side of things was i i initially got into it for performance enhancement when he told initially mm-hmm. he told me initially that it was for addressing um depression and stress but that's when i kind of blew him off but then when he said you know what this is going to make you a better leader it's going to make you more focused at work um then i was like okay well now I'll, I'll listen. <laughs> so so the five products were it helped me with my stress anxiety and depression I came off all medication, and and now I feel like meditation with a T, not medication with a C, has really changed my life and quite honestly saved my life.
1: I love that so much because irony is I don't even know if you know this that my story is very similar in that aspect, dealing with the demons. They gave me medication. I hated how I felt. I was sick I, again. That numbness, and I'm like, okay, mine was how do I own myself? So this is not owning me because I'm a control freak. (laughs) And so from that aspect, the first time that meditation came up, I'm like, oh, that's against my religion. You know, that was like, what's kind of like, I am a Southern Baptist and we don't touch that. And the funny thing is once I actually looked into it, it's nothing like that. It really does not. And it's that hippies and monk culture that sometimes go with it. So and the reason why I love that you do it even more is because you're a Navy Seal. Whenever they walk in, like you're the cool kid, like you're the <laughs> quarterback, you're the head cheerleader, like that's what you are, and you're talking about things. And I know that a part of owning ourselves is we don't want it, people to do things based off of influence and or fear of influence or because it's the cool kid. But this one, I'm okay with <laughs> because. It allows people to see that it is a game changer. And I do, I do believe whenever you get into understanding how it works for you and how it can work for you in the way that you can do it, right? It is a game changer. So I think that's my next question for you. As you hear people talk about mindfulness, one, what is your definition of being a mindful man? I guess we might need to start there.
2: Sure. So, uh, my definition of being mindful man or just a mindful person, uh, is, is just being in the present, you know, mm-hmm. not worrying about the past or trying to change the future, but just being very aware of the present moment, both the emotional and the physical aspects of it. And, uh, and then not judging that, that present moment.
0: Um, oh. and,
2: and then the, the mindful man piece to it. Um, I, I, do would like to kind of point out that piece because so many of the mindfulness and meditation teachers that I've met have been women
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, and in the male kind of culture, uh, the toxic, toxic masculinity side of things, um, men, ha- again, have that same preconceived notion that I had before, is that it's, it's for the soft, it's for the weak of it's for the weak minded. And it's actually completely opposite than that. It's, it's for the strong. It's for those who are willing to confront and deal with some of those inner demons. Uh, instead of just suppressing them and pushing them down in the basement, they actually confront and process them. And it takes a lot of courage uh, to do that. Um, so for, for the men who are watching and listening to your show, I highly encourage them uh, to, to take a step toward mindfulness, even though it has that, that connotation that it may be for the, the weak and the soft.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's, that's true. It's a misnomer. It is a stigma that comes with it, just like mental health as really? well. I call it mental fitness. And it's like, oh, okay. I'm like, just like you work your physical body, you need to work this one upstairs because guess what? That's where everything stems from. Your thoughts lead to your feelings, which lead to your actions. And over time that becomes behavior. But and I think that's the cool part about mindfulness and what you are talking about is what I my definition is, it's awareness with love. And for me, love is to be patient, kind, honest, understanding, not boasting of ill will. It's not to get angry with ourselves. It's to be. Again, apologetically bold about who we are and bring an awareness to it. Is this a valid point? Should I look at it? And so. How has that helped for the people like this? Is still voodoo. We don't need to touch it from the performance side of it because it is a game changer in performance. Whenever yeah. you can bring awareness, especially with leadership, talk about maybe a story that you have or an experience that you've had with the performance side of mindfulness and meditation.
2: So uh, I mean, the list is really mm-hmm. endless, but I'll tell you um, one <laughs> is. I would never go on a show like this I, because I, I would have anxiety about getting on a show, talking to somebody without having some type of script uh, set aside that I could read or at least have to reference. That, that is one thing that I no longer feel any kind of need to do. I feel very comfortable in my skin. I feel very comfortable in talking about my experiences my life and sharing those life experiences with others. Um, but really where I, I started to notice the biggest difference was about, two months into regular meditation and practicing mindfulness and i want to get into the differences and the overlap between those here mm-hmm. shortly, but but about two months into practicing i started to feel the difference but then somebody else came up to me and they're like hey what are you doing differently because it seems like you're more focused at work it seems like you're more productive it seems like you're able to get more done in less time and that's when i was like what am i doing different oh life- I'm, I'm, I'm practicing mindfulness and meditation. So I'm actually able to focus on my tasks. I don't sit down in front of my computer and get distracted by my email, my calendar, I, I go task by task instead of trying to multitask. What I found that trying to multitask is also a misnomer. You're, it's not possible to you really, what you're doing is breaking each task into little fragments and you're getting through each fragment. And at the end of the day, if you look at your task list. What have you actually got done? You're not not getting that much done, and mm. the time in between those kind of switching between tasks that adds up and actually ends up taking more time from the day. So my performance improved in that I was more focused, more productive, but then I was also less stressed when somebody came to me with a task. In the past, how I perceived that task was a threat, mm. and that's how a lot of us perceive tasks, as we we assign it, um, you know, work that comes with it and a deadline. And instantly mm. our cortisol shoots up, uh, go into the red and our, our amygdala, the fight or flight. And I know you have other terms for that, the fight or flight. And I think you had like four or five, <laughs> yeah. the fight, flight, freeze. I forget what the other pieces are that you have to it. But bottom line, that part of our brain takes over and, and we perceive that as a threat. Oh, yeah. We react instead of respond. But what I was doing, I, would, I was realizing that every time I had a task or, or a deadline, I was able to rationally through, think through that and process it and respond rather than react. So mm-hmm. that's where uh, my, my kind of performance improved. Um, and then the byproducts were there as well. And again, coming back full circle to that stress and anxiety and, and depression, that went away. But the other piece uh, was, I was more involved in my life and my life mm. was richer. Yeah. So I have two little kids. And at the time when I first started this, I, I had one. My daughter was six months old. And I was getting up in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, when, when my wife wasn't, we were kind of switching duties, and I was feeding my daughter with this bottle. And I was, as I was in the middle of the night feeding her with this bottle, I was like thinking about okay, what's my to-do list tomorrow? What's my to-do list tomorrow? Or, you know, what did I screw up yesterday? Whatever. And I was finding that I was not paying attention to this beautiful miracle that was right there in mm-hmm. my hand. And then I would put her to bed and I would go lay down in bed and now I've spun myself up and I would <laughs> not ever get back to sleep. And, and after practicing regularly, what I noticed was when I was feeding my daughter in the middle of the night, I wasn't. Spinning myself up. I wasn't thinking about the past or or the future, but rather paying attention to the little sounds that she was making when she was drinking this bottle, uh, you know, when she was reaching up and grabbing my hand, all these little things. I was like, wow, this is, I've been missing this.
0: Mm -hmm. I haven't,
2: you know, I've been doing it, but I haven't been paying attention. And then I would be able to go back to sleep after feeding her. And that's kind of, that's maybe not a performance enhancement, but a life enhancement that I got from from my practicing mindfulness meditation is that it made me enjoy the experiences of this thing called life so much more.
1: And I think the cool part of that from the science behind of it is when you're starting to cherish it. And in that moment of cherishing it, you get to feel that feeling of cherish instead of going to the ladder of missing. Right? And loss. And that's what I've found too many times. And actually, the funny thing is, is that me and my kids had this conversation the other day and it stemmed from which, of course, are six and nine. So I didn't talk about it, but it stemmed from somebody talking about suicide and from the suicide, what they, if somebody's talking about it, thinking about um, committing suicide or doing the act of suicide, that you tell them what you what you will miss from them. But I'm like, that's that's a reactive approach, in my opinion. Yes, it's it, it once you're to that point, it still can have it still has valid. But for me, why don't we start saying what we cherish mm. now as a preventative approach to say, oh, I cherish this moment. I cherish. I told my kids this morning, I cherish that we had this storm that we have trees down everywhere. But the reason why I cherish it is because and this is going to make me sound so redneck. My chicken outside was getting attacked by a hawk. And if I had not stayed here, my son had not convinced me to stay here last night, we would not have our baby chicks. Most of them would actually be dead. And I would have missed my chicks. You know, it's something so simple, but I told my kids, I was like, that is a moment. I'm going to note it. I cherish that I weathered a storm that was crazy. I didn't want to deal with it. I heard the booms, the bangs, and everything. We had power out. Everything was going crazy. But I found a moment to cherish. And I think that's the important thing with mindfulness that is missed a lot of time whenever people think of it. And it may be a part of us that having people on like you speaking about the actual life effects of it that bring it to another level. Yeah. I don't know who would not want to miss that moment of your kid, you know?
2: Right, and I mean that's just an anecdotal example, right? I mean that since then, now now my daughter's almost four. There's there's times when you know I, I'm out there playing with her, which if I hadn't found mindfulness and meditation, one, I'm I may not even be here. I'm completely honest. You, mm-hmm.
0: but,
2: um, if I if I was here, but I hadn't found it. I may not be enjoying times at the playground with her, or I may, and now I have a son and I may not be enjoying their interactions. I mean, when they play together and I just sit and watch and, and enjoy that. And then outside of the the family, I mean, which is beautiful to me, but at work, I, I find that I'm happier at work than I was before. Like I feel a sense of accomplishment, a, a sense of um, camaraderie that I mm-hmm lost and and now I've, I've got that back and it's really that that piece is present in all my walks of life now mm. uh, So much again happier and healthier and that i am experiencing a richer life than than i was before but going back to your cherished piece uh, i i don't know if you know brian maron and, and greg williams they have a podcast called the left of greg podcast and i was on uh Brian's a former Marine, and uh, he had lost a friend recently um, and to to suicide. And he had taken that as a message to him that he needed to call his friend more regularly. Mm -hmm. And what he started doing is when they have birthdays, rather than sending them a text and saying, hey, happy birthday, or calling them and just saying the the planned happy birthday, which is great, but now he calls them. And if he gets them, or he gets a voicemail, he leaves them a message and says, "Hey, this is what I love about you."
0: Ah, that's yes. It.
2: And I think that's huge. That's a game changer. If you're able to express to people what what it is you cherish, what it is you cherish about them, uh, that that changes their brains physiologically.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we, we talked about dopamine and oxytocin when we spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago, and how powerful those chemicals are. And, and how much there is a need for those um, and those you know, just simple cherished statements or phone calls like that, that can literally save lives.
1: Oh, and the importance of it even now more than ever, in my opinion, especially with COVID, especially with us going into the winter months, seasonal affective disorder, like there's so many things that are popping up that our environment's already going to fight against us. Right. Combine that with an election. There's going to be a lot that is coming at us, but we get to own ourselves instead of letting the world own us. And that's what I talked about. Awareness with love. And I think that's where I want to tra- transition into what is mindfulness versus meditation versus you hear gratitude, you hear, um, I talk about trigger recognition, all of these have different things that are a part of mindfulness, but I think it's good to, to bring them down for people that don't know what it is.
2: Yeah. Well, the, the way I picture it is, is a Venn diagram. Um, and for those who don't remember what Venn diagrams are, it's basically the circles that have little overlapping pieces. Uh, I'm a math major, so I, know it out on Venn diagrams, but, um, anyway, Mindfulness, if you can picture one circle is mindfulness and the other circle is meditation and then there's some overlap between the two. You can be mindful in, in having a conversation. I, right now, Emily, I'm trying to be as mindful as I can in listening to what it is you're saying rather than trying to formulate a response right off the bat, which so many of us do in our lives is we have a conversation and then afterwards you're like, well, what did the other person say? And I, uh, I don't remember much because I was formulate my response um, you can eat mindfully and that's a beautiful thing to do I mean if you sit down to a meal and you take your time you smell the you know the aromas of the food you you can see the textures and actually once you put the, that food into your mouth enjoy the taste and you just take your time through a meal that coming back to living a richer life, That is going to make your life richer, one, because you're going to enjoy the meals, but two, taking that time to actually be mindful actually literally rewires your brain Mm -hmm. and and can set you up for success throughout the rest of the day. But anyway, so you can do mindfulness without meditating.
0: Be Mm -hmm. mindful
2: about your conversations, be mindful about your eating, be mindful about driving on the highway, actually paying attention. That's what mindfulness is, paying attention, situational awareness to the here and now. Meditation is when you sit down or not not literally sit down, but you set aside some time and you're very intentional about taking that time to meditate, whether it's
0: transcendental
2: meditation, whether it's mindfulness meditation, whether it's yoga nidra, whether it's any type of meditation, there's lots of them. The overlap between the two is mindfulness meditation. That's where you sit down to meditate. And you are mindful of your bodily experiences, of your emotional experiences. So one of the, the ones that I do quite often is just finding the anchor of my breath. That's something mm-hmm. that you're always going to have with you as long as you're alive. Mm-hmm. And, and you, can, you can really focus on the physical sensations of breathing. Focus on the feeling of the air passing your nostrils as you breathe in. Focusing on the feeling of your lungs expanding in your belly and your chest focusing on the reverse as you breathe out and you just do that two or three times. And that can really change how you are uh, reacting, responding by tapping into your parasympathetic nervous mm-hmm. system rather than your sympathetic nervous system. It can bring down your respiratory rate, bring down your heart rate, bring down uh, your your uh, all your bodily reactions mm-hmm. that are typical to stress. So, um, one of the things that I do when I speak with somebody about mindfulness and meditation is I, I try to start by stressing them, which is kind mm-hmm. of counterintuitive, but I ask them, hey, I want you to think about the stressors that you have going on in your life. And as you're doing that, notice the physical reactions that you're having. A lot of people say, well, I, I feel my hands are sweating. I feel my heart rate increasing. I feel my my forehead starting to tighten up or my jaw starting to tighten up. And I'm like, okay, those, that's that right there is being mindful. you're paying attention to what's happening with your body and then i and then i have them just take three nice controlled breaths and pay attention to that breath
0: mm-hmm. and then them,
2: and then have them take another check on where they are and it's, it's dramatic you can actually see somebody's forehead like getting less tense you know that the jaw may not be mm-hmm. and it's a, it's pretty wild just that three breaths and you can do that anytime anywhere you can do it on the road if you get you know, cut off by, by somebody and you're like, your instant reaction is to call them some names and, and chase them down and have some mad road rage. But instead of doing that, take a couple of breaths and you can maybe express some compassion towards that person. Who knows why they may be acting erratically. Maybe they just had a very bad day. Maybe they're trying to get to a hospital because they're having a kid, you know, flipping them a finger. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild what you can invite into your life when you start bringing these practices into your life um probably one tangent there but hopefully i covered the difference no you
1: did and what comes to mind for me is <laughs> this is how i am in the south and how i got my illness i do the wellness you know this and the viewers know this as well so wellness safety practices <laughs> but the first one i'm like you know snipers use this right i'm like right. box breathing. And I, and I talk box breathing and I and I actually help people with their hunting strategies and cause how they get jittery, you know, and then we could throw that into sports and how yeah. speaking with people what I, I joke with some of the baseball players is like at home play you want to have your home state, like homeostasis, like you want to be at your calm. You're and the principle again is you are owning yourself. And that's the difference that I see between mindfulness and meditation is meditation is almost what I call like wisdom. It's knowledge and action. You're putting an action towards it and you're feeling how it feels. And so for people that are thinking like, oh, this is weird still. And this may like breathing, I'll say for me, my meditation time is also my prayer time. And for myself, it is a way for me to calm myself and to control my thoughts and being mindful as well as meditating on a certain task at hand. Because what I found is a lot of time for me, I'm an overthinker. It shoots and it goes and it's like, come back, task at hand, I'm like, task at hand. And feeling those feelings and feeling those emotions. And here's the cool thing too, is whenever you tap into what meditation can give you, you're practicing it. And so when that person that walks in the room that you can't handle, they owned you. They literally owned your physiology. They literally took you over and you didn't even know it, but now you do. Yeah. And, and now, you know, again, I talk about trigger recognitions. That's a big thing that I, I'm on on. What are these triggers? What are these things that you're being mindful of, but also putting the practice on to know what it feels like to even be at your home state. And so for you, I want you to talk about an experience whenever you have seen like this come together in a beautiful state. I know we talked about your daughter, but is there another time that you can think about that was like, yes, I am a mindful man and I am glad here is one.
2: Oh, um, narrowing it down to one, one more experience (laughs) Um, that I probably going to have a little bit of difficulty doing. Um, yeah, I, I'll tell you, just to get radically personal here. Um, but in in just conversations with my wife, um, you know, prior to learning the skills of practicing meditation and mindfulness, there there were times when I would zone out. Um, mm-hmm.
0: and
2: I, I am apologetic for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not apologetic about being a mindful man, but I am apologetic for. Being not mindful
0: in the past,
2: mm-hmm. and in conversations with my wife or in conversations with some of my friends, I, I would not only work to formulate a response to what it was they were saying, but I would even go further in that I would completely tune out and think about things that were on my to- to-do list, think of things that were stressing me out, um, and and now. I pay a lot more attention to my my beautiful bride. Yeah. And I think that has changed our relationship. I know it has changed our relationship for the better. Mm-hmm. Tremendously for the better. Um, and that trickles down through my life in that I feel better about my relationship at home. I feel a better going into work that carries forward in my attitude at work. I have better relationships at work. At the end of the day, I feel better about work. Yeah. So now I can go home and it's just this cycle. So I don't know if I can put a pin in you know, one experience. I think it's just how it's changed my experience of life and how i totally different. My perspective is totally different than it was Three four years ago,
1: and what I I hear on that too is cherish. You even said that about your wife in in one of our notes. Just I know that you have love and gratitude, and she is your world. She is, and I love that. Like that is so amazing to hear people speak so openly about how much they care, and they're instead of being mindless about something, they're being mindful and And again, I think my thing that I keep coming to is that cherishing that caring, and how it can get you to the next level, because <laughs> I joke with my husband, happy wife, happy life, but that's that's a saying, but the thing is is a happy marriage or a happy relationship, especially the people that can own you and know how to twist the knife, the easiest to say the things and elicit the responses if you don't practice some of these things. It can really go south.
2: <laughs> yeah. Quickly.
1: <Yeah, absolutely>.
2: Things <laughs> turn toxic. And then, you know, one relationship turns toxic and that has profound effects. I mean, we talked about before you hit the chord on this show, we talked about the connections and how how those those connections lead to other um, relationships with other people. Well, the, the inverse is true too. As soon as, soon as one, one relationship in that kind of chain turns toxic, that whole chain can fall apart. And uh, I think the most important relationship that you can foster, at least here in this worldly uh, side of things, not not talking about our spiritual relationships, but our, our worldly relationships, is, is the relationship with your significant other. And and if that starts to get toxic, the rest of your world becomes toxic.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you can you can against that I mean there's a whole litany of ways that you can protect against that but one of the big pieces is by being present
0: in mm. the
2: relationship and that that comes from, from being mindful oh,
1: yes and I will tell you on this journey no matter if you're an entrepreneur if you're a leader if you have kids no matter what it is there you may get plans and you may get th- told things but it never goes the way that it even if you have a step-by-step instruction. So all that to say is what I learned in these past two and a half years or almost two years of owning my business. And this is what I tell every entrepreneur now, make sure you're right at home. You got to be right at home because if you want to lead others, you got to lead at the house first. And that's, that's my opinion on it because that's whenever me and my husband, I'm like, whoa, we're doing great work but I got to be great with you. And if, if that's not happening, other things will not happen. Yeah. So I digress on that subject. Well, but- I, it,
2: can, can I just jump in with one, one piece there is, is absolutely you need to be right at home. Right. But it's, it's not just fostering that relationship with your significant other. I just met, I just said that it was, that was a big piece of it, but it's also taking care of yourself. Mm. And if you're not taking care of yourself mentally, physically, spiritually, all the different aspects that make you who you are, then you're not only doing yourself a disservice, but you're doing your, your family, your loved ones, your friends, your colleagues, a disservice because you're not able to present the best you. Mm-hmm. It's much like, and I've used this in the past, but it's much like the, the analogy or the metaphor. When you get onto a plane, they tell you, hey, you know, if we have a lost oxygen, the mask will drop down. Put your mask on first, because if you pass out, you're not going to be able to take care of your kids. Right.
0: Mm, yes. Well,
2: that's if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of your relationships with your others, whether mm. that's your significant other, whether it's your co- colleagues at work, whatever. You've got to start by taking care of yourself. And that enables you to take care of
0: the other relationships.
1: Yes you can't love others if you don't love yourself first and you can't lead others if you don't love yourself first. And I think that's very important. And also the science behind that, just to put a little note that sleep, mood and movement are all mutually reinforcing of one another. And so how these all impact our body and how we care for ourselves, how we love ourselves, how we feel rewarded, our stress levels all come together in addressing the mindfulness and even the meditation part of it. And I think this is a key thing that I do not want to to leave this without saying to and getting your input. You didn't get where you are in a day. So people starting mindfulness and meditation are like this ain't working for me. <laughs> because it was not a quick fix. It did not cure the world in a day. Yep. Talk to those people for me for a second.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean I I was one of those people, right? Uh, so it took me about 2 months. But about two weeks after I started, I went back to that counselor who recommended it to me and I was like, doc, this stuff is not working. And he talked to me on my level, the kind of dumb, knuckle dragger level. And he's like, Hey, have you ever gone into the gym? Worked out for two weeks and come out looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger? It's like, no, of course not. And he's like, well, it's the same thing can't work out your brain, work out your mind for two weeks and expect it to change completely. It will change, but it's, you know, minuscule. But those minuscule changes add up to massive changes, much like going to the gym. It's not like you're going to look in the mirror after every workout and say, wow, look, I've changed dramatically. It's a minuscule change, but you do it for a couple of months, you're going to see those changes. It's all cumulative. And the same is in reverse. So you stop going to the gym. Hey, you're like, ah, I didn't work out today. I don't look too I don't look too bad. I didn't work out for a week. Um, not too bad. I don't work out for a couple months. It starts to changes. The same thing with mindfulness and meditation. If you practice it regularly and then you stop those all those gains that you've made, all that rewiring that you've made, that neuroplasticity that you've tapped into. All those new neural pathways that you created—they atrophy and go straight back to where you were o- over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, two things: one, it takes work, but it's well worth it. Just like being healthy and being in shape is well worth it. Your your brain being healthy and your brain being in shape—it's it's it's worth it. And then two, it's worth maintaining because it, it drops off pretty
0: quick
1: if you don't maintain it mm-hmm. Oh yeah and it's for me it's not about perfection it's about progression yes stepping absolutely. into it every day and I love to that earlier in the show you talked about at two months you had somebody start noticing it for yeah. you irony at two months is typically when people start noticing on your physical body
0: right
2: yeah exactly
1: and so that's very important to note too that you may see the changes or other people may not see the changes and you know that you're doing this work and it's still don't take validation from others. That is huge on to to maintain that momentum, that cycle to continue it on. So such an amazing conversation, John. So I have a two part last question. First part is people are are apologizing for being a mindful man. They don't want to talk about it. They don't Uh want to show that they are doing soft things. What would you tell them?
2: Yeah, well, I I will tell you that there are a lot more people doing this than you think are doing Mm -hmm. it, and it's becoming much more widely accepted in Western culture, uh, because in all honesty, it's an ancient practice that warriors used to practice, and somewhere along the line, it got (laughs) changed into something that weak and soft people do. Um, So, well, once, once I started opening up about practicing I had a ton of people come up and like oh yeah I practiced too but I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to. and I'm like, why not? Why would you not want to bring something this powerful to others and share that? And since mm-hmm. then a lot of those people have shared it. Um so one, realize that what you're doing is not something that you want to hide. Something that has changed you for the better and it's something that you want to share. And two, more people are doing it than you realize. Uh, Not that that's necessarily validation for doing something because a bunch of people are doing it, but it's just just have no have faith that you're not alone in this. So uh, I think that's what I would like to say to those who are uh, meditating in private, practicing mindfulness in private.
1: I love it. And then the final question is, where can people find you? How can they get a hold of you if there's like, oh, you are my person. I need to like speak to this human How can they find you?
2: Yeah, best way is on LinkedIn. I do have other social media, but I keep that somewhat private uh, on Facebook and and Instagram. But LinkedIn, John McCaskill, J-O-N, last name is McCaskill, M-A-C-A-S-K-I-L-L. You can find me there. Uh, I believe I'm the only John McCaskill Navy SEAL commander practicing mindfulness now. So if you look for that, you'll find me.
1: (laughs) I'm pretty sure you are too. I love it. And then for anybody, I do, I cannot stop without talking about Veterans Path very quickly. Oh yeah. Thank you. Because I think it's a huge plug too, for people that are listening to this because you are a nonprofit. Am I correct? That's
2: correct. Yes. And
1: so how can they reach out, donate, help with any of these causes that you have? Yeah.
2: So at Veterans Path, uh, P-A-T-H, Peace, Acceptance, Transformation, and Honor, that's what path and our name comes from. But you can find us also on social media, but our website is veteranspath.org and you can donate at veteranspath.org forward slash donate. And uh, and that is basically how we survive and how we do what it is we do is through donations and fundraising grants. We are once a couple and we're not in it to make money, but we're in it to change, to change and save lives.
1: Mm, I love it. And also just if anybody's like, oh, this is another charity, You also have a high rating as well as that they have been validated that they're actually doing what they're saying and the work that I get to see that you've done. I'm blessed beyond measure for you coming on the show. I'm blessed beyond measure that the impact they're making on the world continue to do it. And I just want to thank you for coming on and thank for all that have listened. I hope that you have an amazing and blessed.